Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. My name is Robbie. I'm the middle school pastor here at Christ Church. And so anytime I get the opportunity to come before you, I really think as a great privilege and an honor. Uh, People have asked me, do I get nervous when I stand before this big of a crowd or um, before this wonderful congregation? And uh, the answer is yes. Often that's what I reply. But the truth is, I've learned, though, if, if I point to Jesus and I point to the things he's done in my life and the things that he's done in your life, then it gets a heck of a lot easier this morning. And so that's what I plan to do, a lot of pointing, a pointing to him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to, to hear his word, because that's what we need this morning. And Father, we don't need to hear my words. We don't need to hear Robbie's thoughts. What we need this morning, and we went today, is to encounter you, to experience your presence in our lives. We need to hear your voice And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you. I pray you would open our hearts, that we would know you, that we would encounter the living Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would return to us the joy of our salvation. We don't want to play religion, God. We come here this morning open to your move. Meet with us. Meet with your people. I pray this, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I like this series, The Greatest. We've been trying to redefine greatness in our land for the past few weeks. But the truth is, with greatness, we celebrate this. It's a cultural thing we do. Uh, I've moved here 15 years ago, been around Pittsburgh, living in Pittsburgh for 15 years. And I've seen what we call, Pittsburgh is called the city of what? Champions. Uh, I've seen three Stanley Cups won, two Super Bowl championships, all the while my Dallas Cowboys. Not so much. It's been a long time. Yes, thank you for reminding me. It's been a long time. But with those great victories and great Super Bowl wins comes great celebrations and great parades. Uh, in fact, I'm sure many of you, how many of you have ever participated in a Super Bowl parade here or a Penguin parade? Come on. Yes, don't be ashamed. You're celebrating. You might have witnessed some great moments like Sid the Kid raising the Stanley Cup right through downtown. Or you might have seen Troy Polamalu and the rest of the teammates there. They are celebrating through the city. See, with every great victory or great team, we celebrate. And we celebrate well. We do this well. We have Super Bowl parties and so forth, right? But can I tell you, that is not a a modern phenomenon. In fact, this has been going on for a long, long time. And in fact, as we look to our scripture focus this morning, it's going to point it out to us about this Roman triumph. The Romans used to do this. They had 320 of these great military parades through the city. People would line the streets And they would celebrate the victory of Rome and its dominance and its military achievements. 
There was the, it would just be so extravagant and lavish. I mean, there would be flag bearers. There would be musicians playing. Uh, there would be, they would parade uh, the captives of who they conquered. They would also parade the animals that they've conquered. It was incredible. And then there comes the victor, the Julius Caesar. In fact, I got a picture of him. Look at Julius. Here's a painting of it. Uh, Him on the chariots and the mighty horses before him and him with the crown, the victor. And there's Pompey. He even had a more lavish painting about him. But if you, could, you can't really see the details there. But it's this magnificent parade through the city all the way to the capital. And he's on chariot being led by an elephant. And there are servants. There are people. Uh, you know, it's just incredible, spectacular celebration of the greatness of these generals. Or the greatness of these leaders. And so as we look here, if you grab your Bible, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, our verse that we read before you, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Paul is painting this picture. Paul is making a masterpiece with his words of Christ being the one worthy of this kind of parade. Christ being the greatness, the greatest one to receive this. Now, in Roman times, they didn't do this for everybody. There was actually, the Senate had to approve this kind of parade. And there was some criterion that, that, would, that would have to be met for you to be honored in such a way. And this is what I learned, is that A, you, you, you had to have gone into a foreign land. You would have to lead your troops from Rome into a foreign land. You had to have a decisive victory by gaining back the territory. You had to have slain 5,000 of the enemy's troops. You had to be victorious. You had to reign supreme. And you had to have such a battle that would have ended the war. See, Paul here is referring to in this passage that Christ fulfills all that criterion. That Jesus left, left heaven and he stepped forth into a foreign land, our earth, that we live in. He's supreme. He, reigned, he, he had control over the entire situation. And he comes to this earth and he de- has a decisive victory over death. It couldn't hold him down. He had a decisive victory over sin. It couldn't stop him. The enemy defeated and in fact, this verse, triumphal procession, is this verse here, um, these words here that Paul writes is also mentioned, he mentions it one other time in Colossians, and I want to read that before you. It says, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us. He's talking about us. It condemned us, but he, Christ, our triumphal victor, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them all that day, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the victory that has been won. This is what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
He's won. He won the victory that day. He's won the greatest victory in all of mankind. It doesn't belong to some team or some athlete. The greatest, the greatest victory is not to a general or a president or anyone else in all of human history. It belongs to Jesus, and he deserves the triumphal procession of praise, and he stands there victorious. He's victorious. Imagine this parade. This great parade honoring the most glorious Jesus. I spent a couple of weeks just thinking of this parade and what it could look like. Can you put it in your mind? He's painting this picture what this parade looks for. And Jesus is the one that's being elevated. Sid raised the cup. Jesus raised the cross. Yeah. Glorious picture. And, and, and think of this. It goes forth, it goes forth, and behind him are his captives, and behind him are us. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in this triumphal procession. So he goes forth bringing us. We were once captives to sin, but he stepped into our mess. We were once beggars. We were once lost. We were that, that prodigal son who was in the pig pen. We were a mess. We were broken in heart and in mind in our lives. And I look around. I know the stories and the testimonies here. Some of us were drug addicts. Some of us were in adultery. Some of us live in wild, extravagant lives. We were hopeless, lost. But he steps in and he rescues us. He saves us. That's what we once were. And now... We're in this great parade with this great victor, our God. And here's what I want you to get. Listen, mankind, nations have tried to stop this movement, have tried to stop this parade, but it goes forth and there's nothing they can get in his way because he has won and we are part of it. So guess what? We win too. He leads us in victory. He leads us in victory. So, so listen, your struggles are temporary. Your hardships may feel heavy at times, but hold to the faith. He's with you. He's leading you. He's charging on. He's won it for us. And I think this is why the first part of the verse, I skipped over, but I think it's so important. Paul, in the midst of writing this letter, is having some difficulty. He's, he's kind of disappointed on what's going on. He can't find his brother. There's some struggles. But then he turns this. This is all Paul has to say. But thank God. But thanks be to God. It's in this moment that he pauses to have like this praise break. I just got to thank God because I know who I once was, but I know who I am now. Right? I got to give thanks to God because without him, I'm telling you, my life was a mess. I was hopeless. I was lost. But thanks be to God who does the rescuing. Thanks be to God who saved me. He's given me hope, a future, a change. Thanks be to God. Hmm. You got to praise this morning. You got to praise. Now, growing up, I've had uh, some amazing great-grandparents. Not great-grandparents, great-grandparents that were great. Uh, 
and, and really fabulous. My, my grandfather, before I was born, he was a former minister. And then when I came along, he worked at this Christian college. And I, I grew up going over to his house on the weekends and spending time at Grandpa's house. And, and at night, what I thought were uh, fireworks turned out to be drive-by shootings. This Christian college was in South Dallas in the 80s, 90s, a terrible location, tough neighborhood, but he chose to work there. And he chose to work there for a particular reason. The school was called Christ for the Nations. The goal of the school is to, uh, to equip people for the mission field. The goal is sim- pretty simple this, Christ for the nations, that, that they would equip missionaries to go into the world to share the good news. And then I got to thinking about it. Absolutely incredible. He worked as the maintenance guy. So he served those who were going to go serve the poor, the hurting the broken, the desperate throughout the world. He's serving those who are going to go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. What a great example. And my grandmother, on the other hand, she worked for the Salvation Army for 23 years. Her role there in the Salvation Army was this, that she, she played many, many different roles over 23 years, but one of them was that she developed curriculum for those that were imprisoned. Absolutely cool. Biblical curriculum for those who are in prison throughout the United States. Also, she played a role in finding missing persons. And so growing up, I, I was exposed to the Salvation Army. And, I, and as a young kid, I saw the uniforms they wear. They actually have uniforms and they have ranks, captains and officers. And so I actually thought they were military. And then I was asking to her, I was asking her about what, what's these uniforms about? And, then, and on their collars, they have uh, two S's. And it didn't make sense to me. I thought it would be like an S and an A for Salvation Army. I got a picture here. You could see what I'm talking about. And so I asked her, what do those S's stand for? The two S's. And she began to explain to me, they stand for this very simple phrase that I think is very powerful. Saved to serve. That's their mantra. And listen, this morning, if you get anything, if you get anything, I want you to get this very, that very mantra. The work of God in your life. The fact that you've come to know Jesus as he's, he's come into your life and he's saved you and he's changed you. It's for a purpose. So that you would serve the king. You've been saved to serve. That's a, new, that's a new identity. That's a new mission statement. That's a new purpose in life. You're looking for that. Can I tell you that's what it is today? Is that you would wake up in the mornings and realize it's not about myself because that's often what I'm thinking about. But if we wake up in the morning and say, I'm alive today to serve the king. Right? I'm alive today to beyond myself, beyond my objectives, beyond my own purpose. But God has saved me so that I might just serve the king and serve the world, and serve the hurting, and serve the broken. I've been saved to serve. That's our mission statement. That's your mission statement. That's what God has for you and for me. And then Paul, he even goes a bit further in this, and notice he talks about this aroma. Four times he mentions aroma, and I want you to notice who's the aroma, who's he speaking about in this. Verse 14 He makes us another metaphor. It says, and he uses who? Uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. This aroma. This aroma he speaks about. Mm. 
Verse 15, it continues. It says, For we are to God this a pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We get to play a part in the, in the salvation work of God. We get to play a part. Verse 16, to, to one we are the aroma that brings death. Unfortunately, we'll talk about it in a second. And to the other, a aroma that brings life. See, during these Roman triumphs, these great parades the Romans would have, they would burn this incense, or some would even just douse themselves with perfume and celebration. And so if you're a Roman, this this was amazing. This was the smell of victory. But for those who were who, who had lost, those that, that were lost, this would be eventually the reminder of their eventual execution. This is what he's referring to here. Paul is saying, see, the gospel is life-giving to those who receive it. It's changed our hearts and our, and our lives. It brings life with it. But those, listen, to those who reject it, they reject God's greatest gift. The greatest gift of act of love, Jesus, the sacrifice, that all that he, he died for us, why we were still sinners. Those who reject it, unfortunately, still stand under God's wrath. But I want you to get this. It's one aroma mentioned four times. It's one aroma. So we don't need to change the gospel message. We don't need to twist it. We don't need to confirm it. What we need is for the body of Christ to be what he's called us to be, to love him and love the world and be what Christ has called us to be. This beautiful, amazing, sweet-smelling, life-giving aroma to the world around us. We get that privilege. We get to step into the darkness. We get to live in this world. We get to be this, uh, this aroma that should just go everywhere. You know, uh, when I get my hair cut, there's always this conversation that comes up because I go to Great Clips. And there's always a different barber or a woman who cuts my hair. What do you do for a living? That's often the question, and you know, you know how this conversation goes. And I explained to him, well, I'm one of the ministers at Christ Church at Grove Farm. And she goes, well, you're awful young. I'm like, yes, that's true. But I explained to her, I'm one of seven or six or seven of us. And uh, she goes, well, it must be a big church. And, you know, as I thought about this conversation that always takes place, I, I misled her, and I'm probably misleading you, and I want to correct this, because I'm not one of seven ministers at Christ Church at Grove Farm. I'm one of 1,200. Yeah. Right? I'm one of the 400 standing, I'm one of the 400 standing before you and here, here today that I've said it wrong for a long time because that's how God sees us. That's how God sees you. I don't know if you ever thought of yourself in that form or fashion, but listen, you are called. God did a work in your life so that you can serve and be a minister. Christ Church at Grove Farm doesn't have seven ministers. We have 1,200 ministers, and we just need to realize that. You need to realize that. But, but often when we hear this kind of news or this kind of coming from, from the pulpit, often what we do is we come up with some excuses, don't we? 
man, I'm, I'm just not qualified. I'm not educated. I didn't go to seminary. I'm too young. I'm too old. Whatever it may be, you're talking to me? Come up with all these excuses. And if that's you today, check this beautiful phrase that Paul inserts right in this passage. Because Paul says the very same thing about himself. He says, who is equal to such a task as this? Who's competent to be this aroma in the world? Who's competent or capable or able to do this? It's a good question, Paul asked. But when I did some research, I went to the Greek. Yeah, come on. <laughs> went to the Greek, and I found this phrase is also mentioned in the Old Testament. And so the early readers, you know, they would read this, and this, this phrase that we're talking about, who's worthy of such a task, would refer them to this amazing story with, with Moses and the Old Testament and the burning bush. And I take you back to that moment there with Moses before God, unveiling himself, and Moses has to bow down and take off his shoes because the ground he was standing was holy. And in this moment, God unveils to Moses this new plan, this new purpose for his life. And he says to Moses, Moses, I want to use you to be my mouthpiece. I want to use you to be my hands and feet. I want to use you, Moses, to deliver my people out of Egypt. Moses, I want to use you. So he tells him. But yet, there comes that phrase. And Moses says this. He says, Me? Don't you know, God, I, I have a stumble. I can't really speak really good in front of people. Don't you know, Moses, I mean, don't you know, God, that, that my, uh, what I did in my past? Don't you know that I murdered somebody? Don't you know that I'm fearful? Don't you know that I'm on the run? And now you want to send me back there to Egypt where this is all known? Don't you know, God? See, I think, or I know, Paul is pointing to the very fact that no one's really qualified. No one's capable. Paul is speaking of himself. This dude was just highly educated, highly understanding. I mean, Paul himself. But listen, but he's saying, listen, no one is qualified. No one is competent. No one is capable and able, but only God alone. And the point is this. If God has saved me and as God's calling me to serve, he's also going to qualify you and equip you and give you all that you need because it's about his glory. And so, listen, amongst us as ministers, you are gifted and you're talented and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and anoint you to do more than you can imagine. Yes. So, the excuses, the doubts, the questions have to end. God's called you. God's worked in your life. You've been saved for a purpose, to serve in the King. And it's beautiful. What an opportunity, what a privilege we get. What a great opportunity that stands before you. No more excuses, He saved you. So will you say yes today? Yes. Will you say, yes, God, use my life. Use me. Yes. Come on. Are you willing to say yes? Will you step forth into what God has for you? And here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't just happen on Sundays. Did you notice that it says that he uses us to spread the knowledge of him everywhere? Did you get that? Everywhere. 
See, ministry, sometimes we get it messed up when we think it's only on Sunday mornings where ministry takes place or Wednesday nights, but it's so much bigger than that, church. Wherever your two, two feet go, and so we go into the malls, we go into the grocery store, we go into our workplace, we, 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 we walk our kids to the school bus. Wherever we go, there goes the ministry. There you go, there goes the ministry. Everywhere. So we've got to rethink our perspective. We look at our workplace, not as work, but as ministry. And students, you just stepped into a new year with new classes, new, new, new friends, new people. The greatest mission field students is right before you this year. Right before you. And, and family members and parents, how we parent our kids is ministry, how we love our spouses is ministry, ministry, how we love our family is ministry. So it goes beyond everywhere we go, goes the ministry. And listen, when we start to live this out and walk this out and be that aroma he's calling to us, calling us to be, listen, we're not going to have 1,200 ministers here at Christ Church. We're going to have 1,400. We're going to have 2,000, 4,000, 20,000. Where's the stop, right? <laughs> Isn't that crazy to think that maybe we just ordained today 12,000 people? But it's a big world. There's a lot of places. You have friends that I don't have friends. I, I don't know. You have people, you know, I don't know. You, you have influence. You have family members. You go, you go some of us uh, travel for work. You go different places that I don't go. Great places of ministry. And a very practical step today is we have the Ministry Expo taking place right over there. If you want a practical step of like, hey, I want to serve in the church. I want to serve the next generation. I want to part the faith of someone else, my peers, those who are older than me. All these kind of opportunities stand before you. But at the end of the day, your real fulfillment in life is when you realize that he's done an amazing work in your heart and you can't help but want to serve him. Redefines your priorities. Redefines what your day looks like. And if I'm, a, if I'm bagging groceries or I'm at a restaurant and I'm serving someone, I mean, the very, the very ethos of the word minister is servant. They're so tied together. Called to serve, be a minister. Let's pray and let's prepare for communion this morning. Love to remind you as we go to the Lord this morning, this image before us. Jesus, this great parade, this great triumphal procession that he's leading us on. He stands before us lifted high. Victory won. You can't stop it. It's moving. And we, the servants, get to come along behind celebrating, worshiping, telling of his goodness. He leads us. He goes before us. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. He's rescued us. How could we not share that good news? So, Father, place that upon our hearts. Let that vision flourish in the minds of your people. This triumphal procession. Our God before us. And, Lord, as we come... And we walk forward to receive communion this morning as we, we come humbly before you. I pray that we would receive the elements, remembering the victory, remembering the death, remembering what it cost you 
that we are so unworthy. We, there's nothing we had ever done to deserve it. This great gift of salvation. This great gift of walking with you. This great gift of having purpose and hope and love and all that you are. Hmm. May we celebrate well today. Pray this and all God's people said, amen.